Hey everyone, it's Carly. Thanks for listening to this season of 9 to 5-ish. And to close out the season, we've actually got a bonus episode for you. You'll hear The Skim senior producer and host, Alex Carr, interview author Avery carpenter Forey about pivoting your career. Because before she wrote novels, Avery was actually one of our very first employees at The Skim. We are so excited. Regular 9 to 5-ish episodes will be back in your feed again on June 7th. Okay, let's get into the episode. Hi, everyone. It's Alex Carr, senior producer and host at The Skim. Today, I'm very excited for our bonus 9 to 5-ish conversation with Avery Carpenter-Forey. Avery's an author, editor, and creative consultant, and her debut novel, Social Engagement, is out on May 23rd. The book explores millennial wedding culture, class, relationships, all filtered through the lens of social media. I'm about halfway through it right now. It's so juicy. It's getting like kind of dark and thrillery. I'm really excited to find out how it ends. (laughs) Avery also has deep ties to the skim. She was a founding team member here and was a managing editor for the company. She even co-wrote the New York Times bestselling book, How to Skim Your Life. Avery got her MFA in fiction from NYU, and her work has been published in The Cut, GQ, and elsewhere. Avery, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Alex. I'm so excited. Well, me, I guess. It's just me. (laughs) (laughs) So happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Amazing. So we do something with our guests every episode where we do a lightning round. So we're going to do the same thing with you. My first question is, what's one thing you do for writer's block? Walking. I love to walk, and sometimes I pull out voice notes and work out a plot issue, work out something that I've been toying with, and just moving helps me a lot. What's the first job you got paid for? Hostessing. Okay. Were you good at it? No, I was really bad. (laughs) (laughs) I got better, but I wasn't discerning enough. I just, I wanted everyone to get a table. Yep. No, you got to be choosy (laughs) with the tables. Yes. (laughs) What is the last TV show you binge-watched? The last TV show I binge-watched, this is maybe embarrassing, but seasonally appropriate, The Summer I Turned Pretty. Okay. I have not seen that, but (laughs) I have heard amazing things. It's really fun. I'm ready to turn pretty this summer. I'm ready for my situation. Get your braces off, turn pretty, yes. (laughs) (laughs) If your book, if social engagement became a movie, who would you cast? great question. So I have a few ideas. Jennifer Goodwin from He's Just Not That Into You. I think of her, a younger version of her as Callie. However, I also think of Greta Gerwig, but younger. My issue is that I'm elder millennial, so I don't really know all the cool Gen Z actors so much. And I I, I need some more actresses on my roster. Margaret Qualley as Virginia, though. Yes, 100%. I see that. Margaret, if you're listening, call us. (laughs) From the How to Skim Your Life book, was there any piece of advice that you still, or like tip that you gave a reader that you still follow or something that changed the way you thought about something? One of the most basic ones, which we've talked about at the Skim multiple times, is how to fold a fitted sheet. Mm, Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) I mean, health insurance, that gets murky. And I have to, sometimes I do actually go back to the book and reference it, even though I wrote it. But um, folding fitted sheet. Do you have a guilty pleasure? I'm not so guilty about it anymore, but chocolate and bad ambient TV like Emily in Paris and The Summer I Turned Pretty. (laughs) Do you have a go-to karaoke song? Yes, Man, I Feel Like a Woman by Shania Twain. 
That's a good one. That's a good wedding song, too. Like, it always comes out and people freak. Yes. It's just, you really, you can belt. Yeah. Yes. It's a fun one. (laughs) Okay, last question in the lightning round. Was there one topic that you ever had to, like, skim for the skim newsletter that you were like, oh, man, I'm really making this up as I go? Or, like, this is really hard to explain? Yeah, I feel like some of the financial stories definitely were a bigger learning curve. But one of the funniest ones that we had to skim was the Black China Rob Kardashian love triangle. And I made a family tree for that. And that was honestly one of the more complicated, (laughs) complicated trees we made because it really went deep. Yeah. And now everyone on TikTok is like drawing out these family trees and like these kind of the dating webs. I'm deep in that corner of TikTok and it's very complicated. Exactly. It's fascinating. I want to talk about your career. And I think we're really going to focus on your career pivot because you kind of went from journalism to being an author. And while there are a lot of overlapping skills, you also did a lot of things at the same time. And I think you have a lot of advice you can give people about pivoting. So I first just want to go back and talk about like, how did you find the skim when you started? You were like employee number five? Six, something like that? Yeah, there were, yes, I guess there were six of us when I started. I started at the same time as another writer. And I found the skim because I was, I had worked in TV production before. I was working at Katie Kirk's talk show and the show didn't get renewed. So I was looking for another job and I started getting the newsletter. I had a friend, my roommate at the time was reading it. I fell in love with the newsletter. It was so fun, so pithy, but it also was something that really fit into my morning routine. I interviewed with someone at ABC News, heard that the skim was hiring, and I was thrilled. I went in and for the first time, I felt like what I was doing was something that my peers were consuming. Daytime TV was not something that my friends were watching all the time. And this was something that really fit into my demographic. Yeah, I used to work in TV. My mom watched. I knew that for sure, but no one else (laughs) in my life was watching. Number one fan, exactly. Did you feel like it was risky then to take a chance on an unproven startup? And how did you, I suppose, like weigh that risk? Yes and no. I was told it was risky by people in my life, by my parents, by friends. But I had a gut feeling that this was going to be big. And it already had a lot of traction when I started. But I just knew that eyeballs were there. It was something people were talking about. It was a really unique format. And I knew it had legs. And then because you joined and you were on such a small team at such a small startup, I think that that's there are like a lot of movies and TV shows, right, about like what it's like to join a startup as an early employee. And then there are the actual real stories around it. What did you gain in that time? What skills do you still take with you that you were like, oh, wow, I really learned how to do that because I was forced to learn how to do that? Yes, so many things. I think there was an element of fearlessness in promoting the product that I've definitely taken with me to book promotion, for instance. I try to remember we used to go out, we would do challenges and all the employees, which at the time were six and then 10, and then it kept growing. But when it was still pretty small, we used to go out on the street and get people to sign up and come back. And whoever got the most people to sign up would either get just bragging rights or would get like a small, small prize um, or more skim swag. But we were really fearless and would go up to strangers. And I got everyone in my family and my extended network of friends to sign up because I knew I really believed in the product and I knew that it was something that would make people's lives and routines better. Tell me about when you decided that you wanted to pivot or that you also might want to get your MFA. What was that 
moment like for you? And then how did you actually start to make that a reality? Yes. So I have wanted to write a book and wanted to write fiction for a very long time, but it seemed improbable. It seemed like there was such a barrier to entry. I didn't really know where to start. And there's a funny story about how I was accidentally, I didn't realize, but Carly Danielle and the other writer on the skim team, we were all on a shared notes app through our editorial email address. And we were all (laughs) sharing our notes unbeknownst to us. This is really not advisable, by the way, for anyone listening. (laughs) Don't share a notes app with (laughs) your boss. Yeah, it's probably an HR issue too, but we were small (laughs) enough at that point. Um, And, you know, we, we started realizing that there were grocery lists that we didn't recognize in there. And one of my notes, I was writing a murder mystery book at the time. And Carly came to Danielle and was like, they both came to each other and were like, how do you have time to do this? We're so busy. Who's, you're writing a book? And they come to realize that it was me that was writing a book. So they had known, my coworkers had known that this was an aspiration of mine for a very long time. I didn't get the guts and the confidence to do it really until we started really pitching the skim book. And I realized I could write a book and I applied to the MFA right around the time when we were conceptualizing the skim book. And then my first semester, first year in the MFA, I was also writing the skim book, which really did give me the tools to know. I mean, so much of a book is finishing it, really. It's getting to the end and then going back and fine tuning it, but it can be really hard. There's an E.L. Doctoro quote that I love that's, you can only see as far as your headlights, but you can make the whole drive that way. And that's how I felt about writing because It's a journey that can often be dark and murky, but you can make it if you just keep going. Just see what you see and keep keep moving. And so, yeah, I pivoted once I felt like I had enough confidence that I could finish it. If someone listening is like thinking about making a similar pivot, are there some things that you did that you were like, I highly recommend you get organized by your time or I highly recommend you really try it before you decide to pivot? Like, are there pieces of advice you would give someone listening? If it's about, I think any creative endeavor, really, it's about taking sacred time, blocking out sacred time in your calendar. For me, at at that point in my life, because I was working full time at the skim still, I really had my weekends and I like to be social as well on the weekends occasionally. So I really made Sundays kind of like, you know, it's a holy day, day of rest, but it's also (laughs) a day to get to work. For me, it was. I really would kind of make that my sacred time and I wouldn't schedule other things on that day. And to put those bumpers on and block out that space was really helpful for me. Did you ever feel like you're risking burnout or you're kind of risking pushing yourself too much if you're kind of working like six, seven days a week? How did you not only think about time management, but also think about like self-preservation? Definitely. I took a lot of baths. (laughs) That's a good answer. That's a great answer. We love that answer. (laughs) I found that really trying to, when I was not working, to try, this is, feels so obvious and maybe a little trite, but to try to be on my phone less because I find that that drains my battery quite literally on the phone, but also figuratively in my mind. So I didn't have as much time to do that anyways. I was kind of always on during that season of my life. And Yeah, I definitely felt like I was risking burnout, but because the book and writing fiction was something that was so fun for me as well, it gave me energy. It didn't just take from me. I want to ask you something very practical when it comes to career pivots is like kind of keeping the friends you made along the way, making sure that your relationships, that you're not burning bridges or that once you leave something behind, that that's not just like in your rear view. And I think you've done such a good job 
maintaining relationships with all the people you worked with at the skim. And I'm just curious whether that was intentional or just something that you decided was important to you and how you would tell someone to think about that kind of relationship management, even when they're kind of putting something behind them. It really comes back to, for me, about caring about the people you surround yourself with and not just the product you believe in. Because I always believed in the skin product, but my coworkers ended up becoming my friends as well. And of course, there are work situations that you might want to cut ties with a certain dynamic or relationship at work. But my coworkers at the scam weren't just people that I like to work with. They were people I liked being around. And I think it helps to be really clear up front with your bosses or your managers about what you want ultimately from your career, because then it won't come as such a surprise when you do pivot to doing that thing if you're not getting that from your day-to-day at your current role. And so do you remember the day you chose or like the day you left and what those conversations were like? Yeah, I I remember Carly and Danielle were really supportive of everything. It was, I remember one conversation in which we were talking about the book and the book was a company book. You know, it was, I wrote it with them, but the Skims name was on the cover. My name wasn't on the cover. And I remember in a meeting, Carly said, I want there to be a book with your name on the cover. And that meant so much to me to hear. And I think it was a series of conversations. When I left full time, I was still consulting and I still don't feel like I fully cut ties, which is what you were alluding to, which is really nice that I still feel like I'm sort of part of the skim family. I'm maybe like a, a cousin yeah. that doesn't <laughs> live in the house with the family. but I'm- You're like a cool aunt. <laughs> <laughs> cool aunt who comes in the holidays wearing something funky. But yeah, I'm around. And then you were able to really navigate those conversations in a mature and really like more than cordial, but friendly way. But Do you have any advice for someone whose manager is maybe less supportive or is not really helping them on that path? I think time makes everything better. And I think in the moment, you may feel a lot of tension with that relationship and you may, it's very easy to get in your head and spiral about the fact that they will never speak to you again. But realistically, people are thinking a lot less about you than you're thinking about yourself. And that's something that might sound harsh, but I've found really liberating in these types of conversations because you realize that your manager probably has a lot of other things on their plate. And when they're coming off as being short, they may just be stressed about other things that they're dealing with. And I find that I have friends who have left roles and they've had dynamics that you've described. And after months have passed, the managers or the bosses have acted like that dynamic wasn't present and like everything's okay. So I I think time does make everything better. And what feels like a break in the relationship could just be a fissure that can be mended with time. What was the hardest part of making that pivot? To me, I feel like, you can tell me if this is a right or wrong assumption, I feel like going from an office or a team environment to kind of riding solo and really everything, the buck stops with you when you're an author. Like, was that the hardest part of the pivot? Was there something else that you are like, wow, I kind of underestimated how challenging that might be? Definitely. I had to set my own deadlines. That was difficult. I didn't have a manager anymore, like you said. I also just really missed the socialization aspect of having coworkers. And I have found a community of writers and my agent, my editor. I feel like I have a team with me now, but it's it's different. We're not in Slack all day. It's a very different dynamic. And I think that's something that I will definitely miss. I think it's something that even people who haven't pivoted to a more solitary career are missing post-pandemic. I want to talk about your book, and I actually want to ask you, this is not the book you were originally writing, right, in your MFA program? 
No, it was not. So I originally was working on a historical fiction novel that was set in the 80s in tattoo parlors in New York, which is a world that I know nothing about. I know nothing about it. (laughs) So it was a big learning curve. I was going into tattoo parlors and asking these artists to talk to me. And they were like, do you you want a tattoo? I'm confused. I don't know why you're trying to speak to me. Um, But, and I didn't end up getting a tattoo, but I did end up getting half of a novel that I put in a drawer. That book was one that I thought, I really enjoyed that project. I think it would have taken me a very long time to write. And it was the book that I thought would make people think that I was smart. It wasn't the book that I wanted to read. And that was when some of the best advice that I got when it came to writing, which was write the book you want to read. And Social Engagement is the book that I want to read. I mean, I'm watching The Summer I Turned Pretty and Emily in Paris. Let's be real. I want something that's a little bit more fun. And I, I like to think that Social Engagement is not just fluff. It's elevated. It has a dark edge for sure. And I really, the prose is sharp, I hope. It is. It is. I can sure, com- yes, can okay. confirm. Can confirm. <laughs> okay, good. Um, but it is really fun to read. And I wanted the book to be an escape for people. I didn't want it to be a testament to the fact that I could write a historical fiction novel. I want to talk more about that. The tension between doing something that you think you ought to be doing and the thing you actually really want to do. How did that play out for you? And was it hard to make that choice to pivot? Or were you like, no, this feels right and I'm going to follow my instincts here? It was very hard because at that point, I now have written more and I know that when it comes to writing, most writers I know have at least part of a novel that's in a drawer. Some have multiple. And sometimes you have to get a certain story out to realize the story you're supposed to tell. But it's still really painful because it's hours, it's time, it's pages. And I realized when I was able to spend more time on it, when I was part-time at The Skim, I was able to kind of look at that manuscript and I realized that it it wasn't bringing me joy. I have a post-it on my computer that just says joy in all caps because I do think that writing should be fun and I wasn't having as much fun with it. And I had written, I had started writing a short story that was about a bachelorette party gone wrong. And I showed it to a friend and she said, this is your book. Mm -hmm. And she's much more decisive than I am. And (laughs) that really helped me. It gave me the courage to walk away from something that I had spent a lot of time on. And when social engagement's a big hit, you can get a tattoo that says social engagement somewhere to honor the first novel. (laughs) Yes, in the book's font. I love that. You're a new mother and A, congratulations. Very exciting. Thank you. Remind me for your timeline, were you pregnant when you were finishing social engagement? Did those things overlap? How did it work? I got pregnant the week before I sold the book, I found out I was pregnant. Oh my gosh. So they happened very much in tandem. And book and baby metaphors are kind of ubiquitous in publishing. When we came out with the skin book, actually, I posted a picture of the book and my caption was basically the format of a birth announcement. I was like, you know, 12 inches, teal skin, <laughs> like this long, like, because I felt like it was a sort of baby. And I feel that way about social engagement. But now having a baby, I've realized having an actual baby is very different. A baby cries, a baby poops their pants. It's it's a different experience. It's different. But <laughs> yes, I was pregnant while I was editing the book. Campbell, my daughter, was born in December and the book will come out in May. So they really did happen in tandem. And I will always think of them as linked in certain ways. And how has it been for you starting your book promo as a new mom? We did this interview for for context with Carrie Mulligan, the actress, and she went on a movie tour like a couple weeks after giving birth. And she was actually like, I'm exhausted. 
And I'm curious just like how this has been for you to have this huge kind of life-changing thing happen while you're also having another life-changing thing that's constantly happening in your house. It is something that I think about all the time. And I really tried to give myself maternity leave, basically. I needed those three and a half months to not write. I started a second book right before my baby was born. And I sent my agent the first 70 pages of the second book the day before I went into labor. And she gave me great encouragement, which was amazing. But I thought that I would feel motivated to get back to it almost right away, which was very delusional. I thought that I would be breastfeeding and writing on the notes app. You know, I love the notes app with my right hand. (laughs) We love (laughs) always drafting in notes. Yes. I thought that I would be, you know, trying to escape from the routine and the tedium of newborn life with fiction. And it just has not worked out that way. I haven't had the brain power to do much writing, but the book promo has been a fun now that I'm just coming out of it. So it's been four months. And now in the past month, I've really been on email doing a lot of book promotion work on a day-to-day basis, which has been a great way to dip back into writing without actually writing. I'm just curious, is there like a piece of advice or one learning or story that really comes to mind when you think about your career so far and the pivots you've made? Yeah. So this is a piece of advice that I'm stealing from my dad. And he told me this a while ago and I didn't receive it as well as I should have. The piece of advice is do what you're good at, not necessarily what you love, which I always thought you should follow your passion and follow your dream. But I think that if you do something that you're skilled at and you work at developing that skill, you will become passionate about it. And writing was something that I always liked doing, but I really, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an actress. And I do think that there are some commonalities with inhabiting characters between writing and acting, but I wasn't a very good actress. And I think just focusing on where my skill set resided was very helpful in then getting the passion to follow. You are obviously in a new chapter of your life, like no pun intended, you are an author. I'm cringing at myself for this dad (laughs) joke, but you know, how have you reflected on the past chapter of your life and what do you want from the new one? Balance is an often elusive term, and I think that it is hard to find, but I am really trying to create more space to give my full attention to one thing at a time as much as I can. And that's really hard when you're a mom, especially a working mom, but I'm really trying to fully immerse myself in what I'm doing in the moment. Yeah. I love that. Well, Avery, thank you so much. This is such a fun conversation and everyone go check out her book when it's out. Thank you so much, Alex. This was great. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. If you want to keep up with us in between episodes, follow us on Instagram at Carly and Danielle. It's a really good account, I promise.